0: This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Good morning to every one of our CFC members and those that are joining us for the first time today. All of you watching from wherever it is, streaming in live to our live service right here at Christian Family Church. It's quite amazing to me to think that, you know, we're back here, but. We're back knowing exactly what we're doing, how we're gonna go about doing it. I'm talking about everybody. We just know that we've gotta be home, be careful. We keep moving forward and God is still God. He's still on the throne. His church is alive and he's making a great difference in this world and you're all a part of that. It's a privilege for me to bring you the word this morning and I thank Apostle Theo and Pastor Bev for entrusting me with their sheep and this opportunity to share, really to break bread with you this morning And uh, I really consider it a great privilege. Let's pray, family. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word. No matter what happens in our world, your your word remains the same. From generation to generation, Father. Thank you so much. As we are celebrating generosity, we remember you, Father. We remember your heart. We remember who you are. We remember Jesus, who was the greatest show of generosity that this world will ever know. And I thank you, Lord, that this word this morning will really impact our hearts and that it will produce even fruit for years to come because your word is alive in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, it's unfortunate that during this season, so many people around the world leave Christ out of Christmas. We see it all the time, don't we? It's like people celebrating your birthday without acknowledging that it's your birthday. They arrange a big party. People have a great feast in your backyard, but your name's not even mentioned. In fact, you're not even invited to the party. So we are being deliberate. We're taking time this year to get to know the very one for whom this season is celebrated. And last week, Pastor Jenny revealed Jesus as being the counselor and the prince of peace And the Word of God. And so each title reveals an important aspect of Jesus' wonderful, multi-sided nature. And this way, you know what happens? We come to know God, and we come to love Him even better. And so this morning, I'm going to continue to reveal the titles of Jesus. And we're going to look at Him as the Lamb and the Lion. So I'd like to start this morning with God or with Jesus as the Lamb of God. You know, John the Baptist was sent before Jesus came as a forerunner, really, to prepare the way before Jesus. And then when the time came for John to public, publicly introduce Jesus, that was how he described him. John said that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Let's have a look at that in John chapter one verses 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that amazing? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what does that title tell us about Jesus? Well, there are three main associations in scripture of a lamb. This creature, the Lamb, had played a unique part in the Jewish people's history from the time that they exited from Egypt and onwards, even till today. John really had everybody's attention. When he made that proclamation, when he announced Jesus in that way, he had everybody's attention. You want to know why? Because the lamb had such a special meaning. So let's have a look at those meanings, the three core ones, the three core associations in Scripture of what the lamb is pictured as. Number one, the lamb is a picture of meekness. When he spoke that word, people understood that who he was announcing was someone that depicted a picture of being meek. Secondly, it was a picture of purity. They understood that. And thirdly, and very importantly, the lamb was God's appointed sacrifice. What does that mean? That sacrifice provided redemption for the people of Israel. It provided protection. And particularly, it was associated with the Jews' most important commemoration, the Passover. Now, God gave specific instructions of how He intended Israel to celebrate the Passover. And those instructions were recorded by Moses. Let's take a look at what was said in Exodus. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter The pass of a lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians. What that is talking about is God's judgment that would come upon the Egyptians. He will see that the blood is on top and on the sides of the doorframe, and He will pass over that doorway. And He will not permit the destroyer. Isn't that exciting? He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you down. So that is the instructions that God gave to Moses. You see, the whole Passover centers around a lamb. Without a lamb, there can be no Passover. Passover. The entire deliverance of Israel against judgment and wrath depended on the lamb and its blood. And if we look at the word Passover in the Hebrew, we see the word Pesach. And to better explain the word, let me tell you about something that happened in 2017. In 2017, in the Texas coastal city of Corpus Christi, which just happens to mean body of Christ, was facing sure destruction by being situated in the path of a hurricane named Harvey. But Harvey missed that city by only 50 miles. And if we're talking in the language of hurricanes, then 50 miles is a very, very near miss. But it missed that city and the city was spared. What happened there is Pesach occurred. The wrath of that hurricane, we could say, was deflected and it passed by that city. In the same way, we could say that the hurricane of God's judgment passed by the children of Israel when they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, at the top and on the sides. And in the same way, for you and I today, this picture of the lamb was fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, let's look at the word, at the word of God, at a prophetic picture that was created or put in the Bible to explain the importance of this mighty lamb. It was to come. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. There it talks once again about the meekness of the lamb that we looked at. One of those three points. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You see, when you take a sheep to be shorn, it will bleat loudly all the way until you begin to shear it. When those razors or the scissors in those days, or I don't know what they used back then, but when they began to shear the sheep, the sheep remained absolutely silent. I have a friend who, who works with me on staff, Arjun De Beer, and he grew up on a sheep farm, and he confirmed that. He said that the sheep would bleat, but when they got to the point where they would be sheared, the moment they began with the shearing process, those sheep remained silent. And so the fulfillment of this prophetic picture that we have just looked at is recorded in the gospel. So now we'll see how did it work that the lamb came before the shearers. God put that in the word for us to see. Firstly, I want you just to note how accurate the prophecy was that we just dealt with, okay? So now we have Jesus before the Sanhedrin. These were the leaders of the synagogue of the time that the great religious leaders that everybody respected and they were looking for everything that they could find to find or to uh, find Jesus as being guilty because they wanted to put him to death. So let's have a look at Mark chapter 14. It says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree, but they continued, didn't they? And then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? They were confused, they couldn't understand how a person being accused of these things would just remain silent. But you see, this was prophetically announced already. What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus, Jesus remained silent and he gave no answer. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was prophetically doing everything that he was required to do to the point of remaining silent as a sheep goes before its shearers. There was the sheep, Jesus, standing innocently before its shearers, remaining silent. What a wonderful God we serve. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling prophecy the way that you did. We can again see this happened before Pilate, the Roman governor, in Mark 15, verses 3. Let's have a look at that. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. Even Pilate couldn't understand why Jesus was saying nothing, especially his life, folks, was on the line right here. And so let's continue on. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate, just as I would have been, was amazed. You see, we saw in Exodus chapter 12 how important the blood of the Passover lamb was. The blood of the Passover lamb redeemed Israel out of Egypt. But the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God, provides eternal redemption for all. Who believe. This is clearly stated many times in the New Testament. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 9. It says, He came as high priest of this better system that we now have. He went into that greater, perfect tabernacle in heaven, not made by men, nor part of this world, and once for all took blood into the inner room, the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But it was not the blood of goats and calves. No, Jesus took his own blood and with it by himself made sure he obtained, in other words, our eternal salvation. You see, the blood of Jesus obtained eternal redemption for every believer. Let's have a look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Family of God, it took the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God, God's sinless eternal son to provide eternal redemption. The blood of the Passover lamb was a type. It was a figure that provided temporary redemption that had to be renewed. Listen, every year they had to go through the same ritual. It was never permanent. But when Jesus shed his blood, it was done once and for all. It never had to be repeated again. That just once again shows the power of the sacrifice. It shows that Jesus is the ultimate lamb and that his sacrifice was enough to set you and me free for eternity. Now, let's see how this nature of Jesus as the Lamb of God sets us an example and a pattern that we need to follow in our own lives. In 1 Peter, it says, in fact, you were called to live this way because Christ also suffered in your place, you see. He was our sacrifice, leaving you His example for you to follow. Christ left an example for us to follow. Let's have a look at what that was. He never sinned. And he never spoke deceitfully. When he was verbally abused, he did not return with an insult. When he suffered, he would not threaten retaliation. There he is, Jesus, the spotless, meek lamb of God, standing before his accusers, offering no defense, no retaliation. That's the lamb nature and the son of God. And God makes it very clear, as we saw in the Scripture, that we who are His believers and the followers of Jesus have got to reproduce that Lamb nature. He set us an example that we should follow in His steps. We should refrain from living a life of sin. I know that we're not perfect, and it's, you know, it's not expected that we are to be perfect, otherwise Jesus would never have had to die but we should really refrain from living in that kind of lifestyle. We should not be striking back when people are accusing us. We shouldn't be retaliating immediately or striking back. That's a powerful word. Or making threats or or perhaps speaking deceitfully. But what we should be doing is maintaining our composure. Oh, Lord, give me strength to maintain my composure. I desire to follow your example. and, And Lord, I myself, I fail here more often than I want to, Lord. So I thank you that since you've set the example that you helped me to maintain my composure, let me just calm down before I react. Isn't that a prayer that you would wanna pray? Allow me to calm down too often. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a little bomb with, a, with, I don't even have a fuse sometimes, but we have to be mindful of this. This is why we're here this morning for me to, by the grace of God, remind us of these things. Now you may say to me, Paul, Isn't that a bit like being a doormat? Maybe it's a bit of a sign of a weakness. Do you think that we are called to be weak? Because that seems like that's what you're trying to tell me. Well, I'm glad that you asked the question because I want to move on to the second part of the name of Jesus that we're dealing with this morning. And that is Jesus, the Lion of Judah. For us as South Africans, it should be easy to associate with a lion. It's a majestic animal, feared and rejected, uh, excuse me, respected through all of the animal kingdom. You know, it's also the strongest possible contrast to the name that we've just discussed, that being Jesus, the Lamb of God. I mean, what two creatures could be in greater contrast to each other than the Lamb and the Lion? Yet Jesus combined both in Himself. It illustrates a principle that each title of Jesus reveals some important aspect of his wonderful, many-sided nature. His title, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, is found in Revelation chapter 5. And, And in this chapter, John describes a scene that he was permitted to have. Really, it was a scene of majesty, a scene of grandeur. He was allowed into the throne room of heaven. And it portrayed the very throne of God in this vision that he had. And this is what John saw in Revelation. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel. Just remember that. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, could open the scroll or even look inside it. The scroll was the revelation of what lay ahead in human history and the destiny that uh, was still in store for us up until the close of the present age. The lesson here is that strength does not prevail to open the scroll. Remember, it was a mighty angel that called out and even that mighty angel was not strong enough. It wasn't about strength. And then also when he made this announcement, no one responded. No one was worthy. John was deeply grieved. And he says in verse 4, this is what he says. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus. And he is also the root of David, the one out of whom David received his kingly authority. Now John looks towards the throne as the angel, or the elder, excuse me, made that announcement. He looks towards the throne expecting to see this mighty lion, but he sees something very different as he looks up. Then I saw a lamb, he says, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Do you see the deliberate paradox over here? Jesus is proclaimed as the lion, but when John looks, he sees a slain lamb. John continues now about the lamb and the lion, and he goes on and says, He went and took the scroll, this lamb who's also the lion, took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, remember when we spoke about the lamb, we pointed out that it was through the lamb's blood that redemption was provided. The Passover lamb provided temporal Redemption, But Jesus, the eternal lamb of God, provides eternal redemption through his blood. So you can again see the deliberate paradox. The lamb has become the lion. Notice that the lion of the tribe of Judah is not a temporal title. It's a continuous thing. In fact, it's an eternal title. Jesus will be forever known as the lion of the tribe of Judah which incidentally is where the name of the word Jew is taken. Jesus did not identify himself with humanity temporarily in his incarnation. He became man forever without losing his identity as God. And here we also see that there is a very special, family listen to me, there is a very special connection between Jesus and the people of Israel. Now, let's take a look at some scriptural associations with the lion that are found in the book of Proverbs. Let's have a look at the first one. The lion inspires fear. That's what the lion does according to Proverbs. Look here, it says, a king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. So Jesus is the lion whose roar inspires fear, but thank God that his favor is like the dew on the grass. It's refreshing and it's nourishing. Let's look at the second one. The lion is fearless. Look at this in Proverbs 28. It says, The wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are as bold. As lions. This is what you need to hear this morning is that boldness is a part of a lion's nature. God expects us to be bold. He's saying that's part of the lion's nature. And thirdly, the lion is pictured as irresistible. Proverbs 30 29, it says, There are three things that walk with stately stride. No, four that strut about. The lion, king of the animals, who won't turn aside for anything. The strutting rooster, the male goat, and a king as he leads his army. Notice the lion, the king of the animals, who won't turn aside for anything. In other words, what it's saying is that the lion is not afraid of anything. Jesus is the irresistible, all-conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. I want to say that again. Jesus is the irresistible, all-conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. So the lion contains great strength. And he is fearful and awe-inspiring. We could be frightened of the lion. We could be afraid of him. But there is a beautiful lesson that we can learn in this. If we received the lamb, we don't need to fear the lion. If we received the lamb, we don't need to be afraid of this mighty lion. In this composite picture of Jesus as the lamb and the lion, there is an eternal principle presented. And this is what it is, that in God's economy, meekness is the appointed way to true strength. That's very different from human viewpoints. God says, if you want to be strong, you have to become weak. If you want to be exalted, you have got to be lowly. Listen to what Paul says regarding the kind of people who God receives as his own in in Corinthians. He says, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom sorted that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, it was God did this on purpose. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek for human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, you know what happens? The Jews are offended and the Gentiles say that it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. This was done on purpose by God. He's not interested in human wisdom. In fact, he on purpose wants to belittle, if I could say it like that, human wisdom by doing foolish things that are even more wiser than the wisest of human. This all is represented in the lamb. It's foolishness to the natural mind, but in the lamb, in that lamb is contained the ultimate revelation of God's wisdom and of God's strength. Praise the Lord for that. Now, listen to what Paul has to say about his own experience. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, Paul says. So to keep me from becoming proud, you see the problem there? God never wants that to be the case. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. From times I begged the Lord to take it, take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. It's almost like God looks for these opportunities to teach us that. So now I'm glad, Paul says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That should be our motto. When we are weak, then we are strong. We should expect strength to come in the times where we feel super weak because God designed it that way. That's the lesson of the lamb and the lion. If you want to be strong strong with God's strength, you have got to be weak in your own strength. If you want to be exalted, you have to be humbled. The way to become a lion is to start as a lamb. That's the foolish, or that's the wisdom of God. It's foolishness with man. That's the strength of God. It's weakness in man's eyes. But thank God Jesus proved once for all that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. It's all summed up in the lamb who became the lion. What we have done through magnifying the titles of Jesus is that we've learned about ourselves and who God wants us to be. And the more we learn about God, folks, the more we learn about ourselves. That's why I admire Bible college so much. People set out to learn about God. When they enroll in Bible college, that's their goal. They want to learn about God. And you know what happens in doing so? They transform into the very lion that God wants them to be. And you know what? I thank God that Jesus was sent as the Lamb of God. I thank God that Jesus took on the nature of a lamb when he went before the shearers. I thank God that he never put up a fuss and went kicking and screaming. I thank God that he never uh, retaliated and that he never called down a legion of angels like he could have done. Do you realize that he could have done that? But I thank God that he didn't. I thank God that Jesus healed the ear of the very man that came to arrest him because that's just what God is like. But I also thank God that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's mighty and he's fearless. He's untouchable, and He's revered by every other creature on earth. I thank God that when Jesus speaks, His voice is like the roar of a lion. I thank God for Jesus, meek as a lamb and powerful as a lion. I thank God that because I have received the lamb, I don't have to fear the lion. What about you at home? Do you fear the lion, or have you received the lamb? Do you show the qualities of the lamb? Are you the bold lion that God sees you to be, that God expects you to be? We've looked at some titles of Jesus and by doing that, remember that we're looking at ourselves as well. We saw, the Bible said that we have an example and that was the example of the sheep. But we're also, the righteous are as bold as lions. We have to take on the nature of both of those. When you receive Jesus, the ultimate gift, the perfect display of God's generosity. You take on those natures. I'm gonna ask wherever you are right now at home, wherever it is that you may be watching us, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna invite you to know the Lamb, to receive the Lamb this morning. If you've never given your life to Jesus, now, is your opportunity. So I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If there's anyone out there, perhaps you're sitting out there and just through this message, there's been a bit of conviction in your heart because you know that your relationship with Jesus is not where it should be. I even want to include you in this prayer. God is standing this morning. Hear me, family. The way you see me right now on the screen, I'm demonstrating exactly how God is standing with his arms wide open and a big fat smile on his face ready to receive you back, not to judge you. And so I want to ask you to say this prayer with me. If you want to receive Jesus or come back into a relationship with him, let's all say this very simple prayer right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus once and for all to be that sacrificial lamb that his blood was shed so that I can be free. I've heard about him today, and I give my life to Jesus. Come into my heart. Save my soul. Thank you, Lord, that I'm cleansed of all of my sin, and that right now, I am a lion. I am a child of God. Hallelujah. Well, praise God for every one of you that prayed that prayer this morning. I want to congratulate you, number one, on making the greatest decision of your life. It has affected your eternity, folks. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Fulmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God.